Welcome, welcome. You're listening to Gay SI Radio, where you are family. You're actually tuning into Let's Talk, so let's talk. This is the show where we talk about things that matter in our lives, topics that influence us and influence our daily lives. And we're touching up on one of our previous conversations with PrEP, the pre-exposure prophylaxis intervention if we can call it that, uh, where Dr. Baraldi gave us a lot of insight on what is happening. And that is for the people that missed out on our previous uh, conversations. It's specifically aiming at people who do not have HIV, but who are substantially at risk getting HIV. So the intervention that comes in medication is to, to assist us to actually have sex, have pleasure, but actually reducing the risk of getting HIV. So there's a lot of research that's been done. And the, the people part of the panel today is Dr. Ezio Baraldi, our specialist medical practitioner and medical sexologist. Krista Pizzi myself, psychologist and psychosexologist. And Charles Griev, our specialized counselor with special interest in gay and lesbian relationships. So we're going to continue our conversation with Brett to discuss because there are so many still questions that we haven't answered and discussed in our previous conversation. So, Dr. Baraldi, if you could lead us a little bit into that, we've discussed what it is, the medications, where we can get that, all of that in the previous conversation. The questions that we didn't cover is one of the things is to say, how do I take PrEP? When do I take it? Right, thank you, Krista. So, PrEP has been registered. Uh, the intervention is registered for everyday use. That is where the research was done. Um, so if you take the medication every day, what we want to remember from the previous talk is we want enough levels of the medication in the actual genital tissues. We want the drug to be present at the front door where the virus is going to be coming in. And uh, the data shows that in men, that takes seven days. In women, it can take up to 28 days. Us women are always a bit always, always complicated, yeah. Um, <laughs> we keep you on your toes. That's it. And the reason for that is that both the rectum and the penis have got a much higher blood supply than the vagina. So the drug is delivered much more effectively to those areas. So the, the guidelines are saying to us, you take your medication every day and you are covered after seven days. The, is it before meals, after meals? You can take it at any time that you like. Uh, it's not related to meals. In terms of side effects, uh, potential side effects of the medication, um, tenofovir basically has got no side effects. Entricytabine, so the, the two drugs you remember that are in the medication, uh, entricytabine, when you start taking it, can cause a little bit of stomach nausea, a little bit of upset. Very, very seldom leads to vomiting itself, but it can cause a bit of nausea, uh, which goes away after a while as the body gets used to it. So we take it every day. If you miss a pill, it's not the end of the world, okay? because the very soon after we registered oh, the intervention for everyday use, people started asking questions, and particularly in France, started asking the question, but I don't have sex every day. Mm -hmm. I might have sex once a month, once every two weeks. I might not have the opportunity to have sex every day. Do I still have to take these pills every day? Yeah. And so the EpiGay study was um, 
started in France, where they looked at taking PrEP on demand. Mm -hmm. So I'll take it when I need it. If I'm going to do that, then how do I take it? Mm -hmm. How many pills, when, what, why? And they looked at a variety of different uh, mixes and matches. And they came, uh, the results that came out was that the, the, um, the 211 intervention, I'll explain it in a minute, is the one that is effective. So the 211 intervention is as follows two tablets, two to 24 hours before your event, one tablet the day after, one tablet the day after that. If that event A happened, in fact, and if it was risky, because not all events are risky. So if they, if they didn't happen, you don't take the last two tablets. If it wasn't risky, you don't take the last two tablets either. But the, if it was, then it's two tablets, two to 24 hours before the event, one the day after, one the day after that. Now, the reason for that is that it takes up to two hours to get minimum levels of uh, drug into the tissues. Now, I would certainly not recommend people do that because two tablets, if you're not used to taking them, will make you nauseous and will spoil your body. Mm. It's as simple as that. But if you know you're going out on a Friday evening, then take one in the morning, take one at six o'clock in the evening, and then you go out for your, your evening. You've taken your two tablets two to 24 hours before the event. Mm. Okay. And what did they find with this event, with this kind of... Um, uh, intervention, it is as good as taking it every day. In fact, they found that if you take four tablets a week, it's good enough. Okay. okay. We can't promote it fully at the moment. It's not in our guidelines yet. Okay. So, but it, this is something that people will read on the internet. But it is good. There is uh, new data, new long-term data now that's come out from the Amsterdam study where they looked at PrEP on demand for two years in a large group of people and there wasn't a single HIV infection in that group. So it seems to be very effective. And it makes sense in terms of using it when you need it. Uh, it's actually quite, um, I think, liberating for a lot of people because I think the fear that people have usually when they take medication and maybe I've, I've skipped ones or I skip well. It takes a little bit of that fear away that I'm. Mm. I can still be protected. So there's there's some kind of a level of control mm. that mm. I have to say is I can plan, um, and these are certain guidelines to plan. So you don't have to be caught off guard. Mm. Good. Uh, and I think that that sounds quite promising. Uh, and I don't want to go off topic here, but I think there's just a little bit of clarity for. People that have heard the word risky sex, mm. maybe we just need to just have a short uh, bit of information of what would be considered risky sex. Right, so risky sex is any sex that is not safe sex, which says absolutely nothing no. to you. But that is exactly the kind of answers you're going to get. So mm. if you're not practicing safe sex, it's risky. So what is safe sex? Absolutely. Okay? And the bottom line is, there mustn't be any mixing of body fluids. That, that's really where the issue is, because the virus is carried in the body fluids. Now, sex is a very messy 
subject, and it's a wet subject. There's a lot of fluids going around. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's very difficult to control. The one way that you control fluids is with plastic. So, we, you know, we talk about the condom. Yes. But there's oral sex that uh, where body fluids can be mixed. There's a variety of ways where body fluids can be mixed. So, technically, the only safe sex is sex that doesn't involve contact with the other person or minimal contact. So mutual masturbation, for instance, could be considered safe sex. There's no mixing of body, you know, fluids. Of body fluids. Okay, um, Internet sex, absolutely safe. And but, you won't need prep for that. And you won't need prep for that, no. <laughs> but you do need a good line, a new, a good data line. <laughs> but for everything else, it is technically risky. Some things are more risky than others, of course. So if we're going and to have sex after consuming a lot of alcohol, for instance, your judgment is seriously impaired. Mm -hmm. And you will do things that you would never do when not in, under the influence of alcohol. And the same goes for chemsex. So, of course, chemsex is a big issue these days and something we can discuss at some stage. But chemsex basically uh, revolves around being high for a very long period of time. It's basically three, four days at a time um, on drugs that make you very horny. And the... Uh, the activity that then takes place is long and prolonged and there is really very little concern in terms of safety because you're high. Mm. So that is a very, very high-risk uh, uh, situation. So technically what we're saying is one should, if you want to take control and you want to be safe, consider the probability, highly likelihood that if you're going to engage in a sexual encounter, that risky sex is going to somewhere along the way I would likely be part of it. Correct. So consider that as the guideline. Yeah. To say is the likelihood that there's going to be body fluids exchanged at some stage is high it's so high. that equals risky sex. Risky sex, correct, yes. Yes. Okay, I think we're on a, on a nice roll here. Uh, we're going to just take a short break and just quickly listen to some music and we'll be back. You're listening to Gay SA Radio where you are family. Hello, darlings. This is your Queen of the Skies, Kathy Specific here. For the first time in history, an all-gay vacation hits the shores of Africa. Proudly brought to you by AfriGay. Join myself and the seductively saucy trolley dollies as we take you to the beautiful island of Mauritius to experience magnificent sun, sea and surf, a few decadent parties and the chance to make fabulous friends from all over the world. This unique event will be hosted by South Africa's aviation goddesses and your tantalizingly tempting poster girls for travel. For more information, buckle up, bitches, and book your spot at gaysayradio.co.za. Welcome, welcome. You're listening to Gay SA Radio, where you are family. Uh, we continue our lovely conversation. You're actually tuning into Let's Talk. So, let's talk. Ek sal nie gewet of het een bykie uit pas het so gewees en nie. Mm. Um, hoe effectief is pret tijdens chemical sex? Is, al, is het nog steeds e effectief? Um, of gaan voor de chemical sex dit meer risky maak? Weet, gaan die chemische aspekte met mekaar inmeng? Mm. Nou, I don't think that research has been done, quite yeah. frankly, because we haven't had people on chemsex and we give them prep and we do blood levels and all of that. Okay, okay. But technically speaking, it should be uh, equally effective. The problem is if you're going for an all weekend chemsex, you take mm -hmm. your two pills before you start on a Friday night. 
The next day and the day after that, you're so high you might forget your pill. Yeah. That, that, that's, yeah. that's the problem. Okay. And remember, if you, if you have your risky sex on a Friday night, then the Saturday you must take a pill and the Sunday you must take a pill. Right? The next day and the day after mm-hmm. that. Okay. But if you're having sex on a Friday night, it's risky. And Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon. Yes. So you, you're going the whole weekend and you must carry on with Monday and Tuesday as well. Yeah. And yeah. take a pill every day and two days after the exposure. So, you know, they reckon if you have more than sex twice a week, then it's eight tablets a week. Twice a week, four tablets, eight. Then you might as well take one every day. Yeah, exactly. And, and get it done. So okay. for people that are, that are doing chem sex, my advice would be just take it every day. Yeah, that's quite valuable mm-hmm. information. Um, and so, so ultimately, if you like, going back to the point of the question to say is when do we take it and how much control do I want to actually take or pre- preventing my, my exposure? And then, you know, if you're going to have intermittent or on a fairly regular basis sexual uh, encounters, you know, take it per every day and then, you know, you're covered. You're covered done with, yeah, you, you know, you're covered. And it's you part of your regime. Issues. Yeah, yeah. It's like taking your vitamins every day. Yeah. It's yeah. as simple as that, yeah. But I wanted to ask Charles, what, in your experience, look, the PrEP has been around for a while now, uh, yes. particularly in the MSM community because it is available from the NGOs. Um, and there's been a lot of, in the past, uh, shaming on PrEP. So uh, we've seen when it first came out in the States, we saw the T-shirts saying PrEP slut and all sorts of other negative shaming um, connotations because of what we spoke about the last time, that if you're taking PrEP, you must be promiscuous, whatever the hell that means. But what has the effect been in terms of relationships? on people having PrEP. What happens in a situation where you are in a relationship but you're not entirely sure whether it's monogamous or not and you decide to go on to PrEP just to protect yourself, which is your right? Um, How has this uh, PrEP affected the dynamics of relationships in your experience? Part of my personal experience is that they didn't really have any effect on the type of relationships. That stays exactly the same. It's not that more people go into an open relationship than there was before. Uh, the big thing is, I think it only helped them to take more responsibility and be more responsible for uh, their action. But at the same time, now a lot of people will say, yes, but isn't my partner now playing around with other people more at this stage? I mean, if something like that happened, they did it before PrEP were there. Yeah. So... I don't think we must go and look for PrEP as an excuse of the possibility that people will be more irresponsible and have more sexual partners than, than before. So if your partner was playing around before, in any case, now he's got less of a chance of bringing out something that you didn't want. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. So I don't think there are any really credit in that statement and people can forget about that fear to be honest. Yeah. That's something that I don't have to fear about. In fact, if, if we think about what you just said, if a partner who plays around and goes on PrEP, then it protects me as well. Exactly. Because he's not bringing something home that, that, that we yeah. don't want. Yeah. So technically, he's actually more responsible. More responsible than he ever was yeah. before. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Just the psychological um, effects that might come from this? 
You know, the interesting thing people often ask me, and especially if we talk about infidelity and the impact on relationships, I, I, and they often say to me, is, okay, now how do I prevent this from happening again? And the only safeguard that you have in your relationship that infidelity is not going to creep in or some sneaking around is not going to happen is to make sure that what you get at home is actually so much that you don't want to risk losing it. Mm. So prep can very easily become the culprit or the one that we're going to blame. Uh, but in actual fact, there's something in the relationship that needs to be addressed. Mm. So exactly. in, while we're addressing the psychological aspects of the relationship and the dynamic, we need you and your partner to be protected. Mm. So what, because often, as we know, psychological and emotional things happen, take a, long, a lot longer to resolve so, the, the, the dynamics. And in the meantime, um, people are being exposed and people are at risk. So we need to, and this, it, it comes back to the, the, the same thing to say is when somebody comes to me and they are, they are suffering from depression, Am I going to wait until they feel better before I actually introduce a med medication to assist them with the depression? Mm, exactly. Or am I going to do the two things at the same time? Mm. So why would I not introduce a preventative in, in, um, action of inter interaction or intervention while we are working on the relationship dynamics? Mm. So the two things shouldn't actually be running separately. It's not, it's not, the one is not removed from the other. Uh, the interesting thing, and I've, I've had a couple of people and the positive feedback that I've had with people that started PrEP, and the one was, uh, one of the people said that PrEP has replaced fear as the central focus of relationships. Yeah. So they've actually realized is there's some freedom in this, not in the sense that I'm freeing up my partner to go and explore other avenues, or I can go and explore other avenues. But I don't have to be at fear all the time of contracting it. Mm. Especially if one of the, we're talking about uh, discordant couples of whether one is HIV positive and the other one is not. Mm. So we need to actually replace that fear and bring some joy back mm. in this relationship. Mm. So we, we have to be very careful to be too judgmental and narrow-minded when we look at, at, at medical interventions. And start saying, as yeah, but you know, you should have more control and you should have more trust in your relationship. Yes, all of those things are important. But we also need to be realistic. Uh, we're also living in a country, and I think that is one of the, the realities that we have to, to face, is where rape is unfortunately um, very rife. So even if you are in a monogamous relationship where there is complete trust and you, there is no other parties, you know, your ex the possibility of being exposed to the HIV virus is there, even mm. if it is not through your own doom. Mm. Yeah, yeah it's one of the realities of the world we live in. Eh? Um, interesting you mentioned serodiscordant couples, mm -hmm. because a serodiscordant couple where one is positive and one's negative is the ideal place to use print. Mm. Absolutely. Or isn't. And that's the question that's often asked because of the new information that's come in that undetectable is untransmissible. Okay. So if I am positive and I'm on treatment and my viral load is undetectable and has been undetectable for six months and longer, 
then the amount of virus that I have in, in, in my body is too little to pass on to the next person. Mm-hmm. So um, you can't give what you haven't got. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. And if you're suppressed for six months or longer, then the data shows very clearly that you cannot, you don't, just don't have enough virus in your genital secretions to pass it on to the next person. So in a way, there are people, particularly the funders, who are saying, but you're a serodiscordant couple. The one is on treatment and is undetectable. Therefore, the other one doesn't need PrEP. And it's one of the excuses that have been used mm. for not spending the money on the medication. In practice, um, it is still one of the focus areas because U equals U makes sense on an epidemiological basis. So if we're looking at the size of the epidemic, the more people we treat, the less people there are to spread the virus out okay? because they can't. That's fine. So that's what we're chasing. It's the 90-90-90 goals that everyone has heard of. On an individual basis, I could be HIV positive and taking my medication and being suppressed, biologically suppressed or undetectable for six months. But now I get a stomach bug and I get a diarrhea and I have that for four days. In those four days, I've taken my medication, but it's gone right through and I haven't absorbed it. Chances are my virus is going to go up because my amount of medicine's gone down, or I've got a flu, or waiting for an op, or anything else that just rocked the boat. So technically speaking, the only time that you can say you are undetectable is on the day that the test was done. Because after that, things can happen in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like when you do an HIV test, the only time you can say that you're negative is on the day that the test was done. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. In your pseudo-discordant couples, irrespective of what the accountants and the funders want us to believe, it is still a place where PrEP is useful. Because if you PrEP, then you take away that risk of, I'm not undetectable today. And it should be applied there. I think, thank you for that clarity. Uh, that, that's quite valuable to know. And I think for people to bear in mind. A last very technical question, uh, or practical question, uh, it's a, that I would want to know to say is, if I feel I want to take PrEP, mm. and I have got the medical funds on my side, can I go to my GP and say, please prescribe this? Mm. So the criteria that we spoke about in the previous uh, discussion that we had to say, um, in terms of if we talk about government funding and medication, does that fall away? Do I have a choice to say, I would like to take this, can you prescribe? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you can afford the intervention, you have every right to it. You, can, you should, technically speaking, be able to go to any GP and be able to get the, uh, the medication. Okay. Unfortunately, we have a situation where a number of the colleagues are not up to date with this intervention. It hasn't been publicized. I mean, if you have a look in, in the MSM community, we all know about it because there's been a noise and there's information around it. In the heterosexual community, there hasn't been. It's dead still yeah. because government doesn't, or the funders don't want to wake up a demand for the stuff. And the same thing has happened with some of the practitioners. So some of the practitioners are hesitant to prescribe it. They're not quite sure what the protocols are. They're not quite sure of who qualifies for it. 
Um, and one of the problems that um, often comes up when I'm talking or teaching GPs about PrEP is the question of, but what about resistance? Mm -hmm. okay. We're only giving two drugs. You've drummed into my head that we have to have three drugs for HIV, and now you want me to prescribe only two drugs. What about this resistance? Mm. Well, the point is, there's no virus mm. in the HIV-negative person, therefore there's nothing that can become resistant. Mm. Okay? So there is confusion within the, uh, the medical fraternity as well. And you may well, unfortunately, come across an encounter with a practitioner who's not well informed and who says to you, I don't know what you want and I'm not only prescribing this because the rules are three drugs that are you HIV positive in any case, why are you lying to me? Mm. So it's not going to be a uniform service everywhere. That doesn't mean that people shouldn't go looking for the service okay? and creating a demand for the service to be uh, provided and for the uh, practitioners to be up to date on it. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. So, something for to one wrap thing, up with? Yeah, just one thing that you've mentioned there, Dr. that was actually shocking for me a while ago, is that there were specialists who wasn't aware of what PrEP is. And that was really shocking for me because, I mean, for according to me, every GP should actually know about it, never mind specialists in specific fields. Mm. And when I mentioned for them about PrEP, they said, listen, are the person HIV positive? They're getting confused. They're getting confused. They're getting confused. You see, the problem, uh, part of the problem, I and mean, there are many issues that combine this, but um, in the first world, anyone who has an interest in HIV will treat it. Yes. So if I'm a gynecologist and I have an interest, I'll treat it. If I'm a neurosurgeon and I have an interest, I'll read it up, I update myself and I'll treat it. In South Africa, because of the size of the epidemic, we can't afford that. Mm. We can't afford to say, here's a bloke and there's a bloke, but these blokes don't do it. Okay? Yeah. Unfortunately, here, every single GP needs to treat it just because of the size of the epidemic. But within that group, uh, there are still differences in knowledge levels and interests. Yes, yes. Yeah. So unfortunately, you are going to come across those. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, it's your something for the road. If you're having sex, take prep. That's it. I will absolutely second that. <laughs> I, want to, I want to close up with one of uh, a comment of, with that at the interview of somebody that was on taking prep and said, for the first time in my life, since I started taking it, I actually have had sex as I like it, without having the horrible feeling of, oh, my word, afterwards. Mm. We have the right to protect ourselves. We have the responsibility to be as risk-free as possible. And we have the absolute privilege of being alive and to enjoy it. So go out and be safe. Thank you. Definitely. Thanks.